So, um, but it's good to be here this morning. Um, before I get started, uh, if, you, if you want to, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to, uh, to Romans chapter 10. That's where our main text will be. We'll let you open that up if you'd like to. We won't be there for a few minutes, but, uh, but that's where we'll be. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm a little nervous. Uh, I could speak to a thousand youth, but once you get someone over the age of of me, which is 25, in the room, I'm starting to get nervous. I start to get a little anxious. Um, if I ever speak too fast, which I have a problem with, um, if I ever speak too fast, just just raise your hand, and I'll know that means to slow down. So that or it's time to leave, one and two. And, and I will appreciate that. So so you can just be like, hey, slow it down a little bit, and I'll speak slower. Um, uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, speaking today, like I said, uh, Romans 10. Um, I'm going to share a lot tonight about my testimony, a little bit of my view of uh, philosophy of ministry and my call to ministry. Um, so, so I'll share a lot about who I am tonight, but this morning, uh, Pastor John asked me just primarily to speak, just teach. And so I, I want to give you just a snippet of, of who I am. Um, I'm 25, like I said. I'm married, um, the most beautiful girl in the world. I have to say that, but I believe it too. So, but Amy, so, so she's there, and I'll embarrass her a little bit. So she's there sitting by Pastor John's wife this morning. And so um, she, she and I uh, just got married in December. So, so we're newlyweds. We haven't been married eight months yet, but we will by the end of this week. And so we're excited for this journey that's on. Um, I'm more excited than she is because I married her and she married me. So uh, you can see why I'm more excited. Um, but she's a great asset to, to me. In life, but also in ministry, she also has a background um, in, in uh, youth ministry before we ever dated, and so so she loves youth as well. Um, we have one uh, small child. He's very hairy. Uh, he's a dog. So so uh, we don't have any children yet. Um, but the way she treats it, you would definitely believe it was a child. So uh, the way she talks about him too. So if you ever hear anything about Titus, that is our dog. Um, he is a mix. And uh, we love him a lot, so we don't have kids yet, so he gets most of our attention. Um, she, uh, she works in, in, in Little Rock, so, so she mutes from where we're at currently. Um, and if we come here, she would continue to probably do that. Um, so she enjoys, she enjoys working for the company she works for. It's a Christian-based morals and, and principles there, so it's good to have that in the workforce. And she works for a roofing company, so it's good to have those basics and, and, and principles and, and all they do. Um, I've been a uh, youth pastor since I was 19, so whatever church, uh, I know what church it was, but the church that decided to do that was maybe not the brightest church in the box to have a 19-year-old teaching 18-year-olds and younger. Um, that's what it was. I was called to ministry, and, and the previous youth pastor did the same thing. He, would been, he was a 19-year-old youth pastor and, and did great. He's actually a friend of mine. And uh, so, so they, they called me on. I started at 19 before I had any Bible education at all. And I have learned a lot from my failures because I failed a lot. So, so um, if you think you failed a lot, I can top you. I promise. So, so, especially when it comes to speaking and when it comes to youth. So, so I, I know how to mess up. Um, hopefully, that means now I know five years of ministry later, I know how to do a few things right. That's my hope. Um, that's 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 mostly a little bit about me. Um, uh, I love sports. I don't like to watch, but I love to play. Um, I like long walks on the beach uh, with my wife, not you guys, but um, but uh, shorter walks sometimes are better because I'm out of shape, so shorter walks are good too. But uh, but I just I love people and primarily youth. So I'm called the youth ministry. 
Um, that's something that I, I worked through and struggled through when I started was called. I didn't know if I was going to be called to children ministry, youth ministry, or, or maybe senior pastor, or even missionary work, but, but my heart is youth. Um, so my goal and ambition in life is, is to, to when I finish fighting the good fight, when I finish running the race, that I'll be that, that guy that was, uh, was on the uh, Six Flags commercial a few years ago. He was, he was an older man. Um, he got off, and he's on his walker, and the music comes on, and he starts dancing. That's what I want to be. I want to be an old youth pastor. That's, that's what God has put on my heart. And so unless that, is, unless that changes sometime down the road, that's, that's my heart and that's my desire. I love children. I love, I love those two, and I, I want to have some of my own. But I think I also want to beat them sometimes, so maybe I should stay away from the children. So, so I'm kidding. By beat, I mean shake my finger at. I don't want to get in trouble. So. But uh, let's move forward. Um, I'm going to pray for us, um, pray for my nervousness, and then we'll get started. Um, Please pray with me. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, in it we have all we need to know you. All we, in, in your word we have all we need um, to have a relationship with you for salvation. It is, it is the word. And, and we ask that you teach your word this morning through me. That you would give me the words to say. That you would give me the prayers to pray. That you give me the, the thoughts to think as I share your word. I pray that you take me out of the equation and my, my nervousness, my dry mouth, uh, my anxiety. Just take that out and just allow me to preach your word uh, truthfully and effectively. I pray that you would open up the hearts and the ears of those that are here. If they have an ear, let them hear what your word would say. I pray that uh, you keep me um, accountable, that you keep me accurate to your word, that I would not teach anything false. And Lord, just be with us today and help us have a good time in your word. I ask this in your name. Amen. I do believe that when I pray that. I believe we can have a good time in church. I believe that we can have a good time in the Word. Um, Leviticus, maybe not, but the rest of it, it's good. No, I'm kidding. Leviticus is good. So, uh, um, but it is tougher sometimes. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, flip over to, to Romans 10. We're done talking about me, so let's talk about the Word. So um, we'll be talking about today about righteousness. I wish I was preaching on faithfulness. I mean, you didn't tell me we were going to sing about this this morning. I could have coincided, it would have been great, so I would have loved to be able to, to preach that um, on, on faithfulness. Um, so if you will, I want to read um, the text. Uh, do you guys ever stand up for the honor of reading God's Word here? Do you guys ever do that? Can we do that? Can we experiment with something new? I'm a youth pastor, I love that. If, if, if you would all stand with me as we just read just these first four verses, and then I'll let you sit back down. And if you're unable to stand due to health, then please see that it's fine. But I just think it's sometimes it's nice to stand in honor of God's word. Starting in, in Romans 10, verse 1, it says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. God, I thank you for this word. Pray that you just bless the further reading and exposition of your word and ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. That's something I like to do. Um, I don't do it every time I read um, the youth. If every time I read the scripture that the youth had to stand, they would be playing musical chairs all day. So I'll, I'll read and I'll go back and I'll speak and then I'll go back to the word back and forth. And I'll do that today. Um, but it is it's something to be said for standing in honor of God's word. Um, just like when you pray, um, sometimes you'll be driving down the road and be praying that Jesus will take the wheel. Um, or maybe he'll take your mouth um, for some of us if, if we're driving the road. Um, but, uh, but sometimes we bow 
Sometimes in Scripture we see that they're laying before God, prostrate on the ground. And we see just different postures of prayer. And so I think sometimes it's, it's good to stand, but enough on that, we'll move on. So in this passage we see a few things. If you're note-takers, I have three main points. And the first one is, we're in a, uh, we're in, the first one is the righteousness that God rejects. We see in this passage there's two paths of righteousness that we can pursue. There's two paths to righteousness that we often take as human beings. Some of us, uh, or maybe not us, hopefully none of us, but some people in the world don't pursue righteousness at all. But those that pursue righteousness, they take two primary paths. We see that in Scripture. The first one is a righteousness that God rejects. There is a righteousness that is is worthless. And simply put, if I was to to, to summarize everything I'm about to say, that would be self-righteousness. We see in, in, in the Gospels when, when Jesus would come and he would preach and he, and he would teach and he would speak to people and deal with people and deal with people's hurts and, and the things they were struggling with, he got on to a specific group of people more than anybody else, and that was the Pharisees. Second, the Sadducees. And they were sad, you see. I love dad jokes. They're great. So, so my wife is... Uh, I tell that joke like once a month. So, uh, but the Pharisees, and so he got on them all the time. These were people that, that knew the word, that knew the law, that should, been close, should have been close to God, that should have realized that Jesus was the Messiah, they missed it. They were caught up on ritual. They caught up on being righteous of their own good works. And so that's what we see here, that God rejects those who try to be righteous by doing good things. The, the way to righteousness is not by doing good things. And, and, and if we're not careful, that can sound enticing. That can sound... Well, you are, if you do good things, you're a righteous person. That's good. But that's not the answer that God gives. God rejects those who try to be righteous by doing good things. It can sound good to do good in order to be good. But you read in James 2, in James 2.10, it says, Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. We see that if, if, you, if you try to live your, your, your life according to the, the Old Testament commands, I think 613 of them, if I remember correctly, 613 commands, that's a lot. I couldn't even quote them to you, much less follow them all. But if you try to live your life according to that, you may do really good. And you may be really great at a lot of things, but if you fail at one part, and if that's the way you you earn righteousness, if that's the way you earn salvation, when you fail one time, you failed and you're guilty to all of it. So the law is not there to save us. The law is there to point us to the one who can so the problem with self-righteousness, I have a few problems that's wrong with self-righteousness. The problem with self-righteousness is that Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And many of you, if you've been in church before, if you've heard the gospel presented, you've heard that passage and you've heard that verse, but it says that all have messed up. That means even the sweetest, most lovely and, and candy-giving grandma, for me it was my great-grandma Mill, man, she could cook a spread and I would... I've never seen her do anything wrong in her life. I'm sure she has, and I've heard stories, but I've never seen it. And she's just the sweetest lady, but even she has fallen short of the glory of God. There's no perfect person. My wife is incredible, but she's not perfect. More perfect than I am, but she's incredible. Okay, I just want to throw that out there. I got you. So, so she's incredible, and I chose to marry her above any person else on this, in this world because I love her. And I want to be with her, and I want, I want to, 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 to succeed in life, and I want to fail in life together with her, but she's not perfect. And so we all, we all fall short of the glory of God. So that's another problem with self-righteousness is that Romans 3.10 reveals that no one is righteous, no, not one. So we can't even pretend to say that there is a righteous person because Scripture itself says there's not. 
And that's actually quoting the Old Testament, and it's revealed there. For those that didn't have the New Testament, it's reiterated, it's reiterated in the New Testament, but it's pointed out in the Old Testament that no one is righteous, that no one seeks God, that all falls away. We see back before the flood that the thoughts of their heart were always wicked. We, on our own merits, on our own efforts towards salvation, our own efforts towards righteousness, have nothing to offer. And that's what we also see in Isaiah 64. We've, we've probably heard this verse many times, but we, all, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments, or, or most often quoted as filthy rags. The best we can offer God is polluted by our sin, is tainted by our sin, is like a filthy rag because we aren't good enough. And the problem with self-righteousness is that God demands perfection. He doesn't demand good. He doesn't demand all right. He demands perfection. And if we want to be allowed into His heaven through our own deeds and merits, we have to be perfect. We can't be close to perfect. We have to be perfect, and we know that no one can do that. See, the Pharisees, you would think of all people would have got this. You would think they would have understood this because they had the Old Testament. They studied it from a young age. Many people that were, especially like the Pharisees and the court and the people that were, um, like, like Paul, he was part of the Sanhedrin, those people. But people that studied the law, they started at a young age. And they start memorizing. And how, how they memorized Scripture, they didn't have chapters and verses like we have. They, just, they would just start quoting it and they would say, the Lord is my shepherd, and then the students would have to repeat the next line. So that could be, that could be anywhere from Isaiah. That could be, well, usually it's the, the, the first five books, but it could be anywhere in there. They'd have that by 13. They had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. And we struggle to memorize John 3.17. We got 3.16, but 3.17 we miss. And so, and so we struggle to, to memorize and apply that to our heart, but we see that, that people like David... He's, he said in, in, in the Psalms that, that I have written your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And so these Pharisees, if anybody should have had this down because the Pharisees had this memorized, they had it applied, they then had interpretation of how to apply it, and they had all these people teaching them, and then they were accountable to others because they were teaching the word of God to others, and yet the Pharisees, they didn't get it. If you had a Pharisee in our churches today, a Pharisee might look like this person. He might, they might attend church faithfully there every time the door is open. They, they, might, they, they probably would tithe. They'd live moral lives. They remain pure in their marriage. They're always helping the church. They would be really good people that we all look up to. And I'm not saying you can't be those and be in church, but a Pharisee definitely would look like that because they cared about their outward appearance. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking, and he said, you know, these Pharisees don't pray like they do because they get up in front of the city and they say, hey, look at me, I'm so thankful I'm not like these people. I'm so thankful that I'm good and I'm righteous. I'm so thankful that I'm holy, God. I'm so thankful. They would brag on themselves. They didn't get it. So the Pharisees didn't get it. They were self-righteous. They were righteous in their own eyes, just like in the Old Testament, the time of the judges. What we categorize the judges is that they did what was right in their own eyes, not in the eyes of the Lord, not in the eyes of God, not in the way that He said, but the way they thought was good. So they made decisions, and they made decisions for the whole people of Israel based on what they thought, not based on what God thought. And maybe they even got wise counsel. Maybe they even got the smartest people the smartest people and said, all right, let's think about a plan, let's strategize. But human knowledge is far inferior to God knowledge. 
And, and human wisdom is far inferior to God wisdom. And so they, 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 they did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't do what was right in God's eyes. So they had self-righteousness, but not always true righteousness. And so the first path is the, the, the righteousness that God rejects. But secondly, we see in this passage, there's a righteousness that God accepts. And that's good news, because if I just ended there and said, all right, this is, there's a righteousness that God rejects it. You can't be good enough. And said, all right, see you next week. I wouldn't be coming, right? I mean, it'd be like, you would never see me again because you're like, we don't like that guy. He doesn't preach the gospel because the gospel is good news and that's really bad news to hear that there's no hope for us. But there is hope. There is a righteousness that God accepts. And if we were to summarize everything I'm about to say, simply put, that would be the righteousness of Jesus. So first of all, there's a righteousness that God rejects and that's self-righteousness. And now there's a righteousness that, that God accepts and that's the righteousness of of Jesus. Last I checked, none of us were Jesus. I certainly am not Jesus. And so we don't have that righteousness of Jesus of our own because we aren't Jesus. However, there is a way to obtain that righteousness. There's a way to have that righteousness, and that's, that's through salvation. But often we forget something very important. And, and if you've been in church, um, I've been in church for regularly, man, yeah, but 12 years. Okay, Some of you have been in uh, haven't been alive 12 years. Some of you guys have been alive for a few more than 12 years. And so in any range in between, and some of you have been saved for, for one year, two years, 30 years, 60 years, and so we, we can often forget, and, and I struggle with this too, because the way you live your life sometimes believes this lie, and that lie is that we often believe that salvation is not, we often believe that salvation is a reward for the righteous. I often believe that salvation is a reward for the righteous, but that's not the case. Salvation is not a reward for those that do good. Salvation is not a reward because you've earned something. Salvation is, is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. And if you're guilty, then you're close to salvation. But when you think you have it all together, when you think you've earned something, when you think you're owed something, especially with people in my generation, younger, older, uh, older people that... Maybe just one or two. No one's older than two years older than me here. But if you're a little older than me, you, you, you know that there's an there's a entitlement in, in, in my generation, especially the generation younger than me, they're entitled to things. If you think you're entitled to salvation or if you think you're entitled to anything that God offers because of what you've done, you've missed it. Because salvation is a gift for the guilty. It's not something we can earn. We only obtain righteousness not self-righteousness, but true righteousness, the righteousness that God accepts. We only obtain righteousness through Jesus and what we uh, theologians will call the great exchange. And that's found in 2 Corinthians, and that's the main text for that. It's found throughout the whole um, Gospels and the New Testament, but, but really 2 Corinthians 5.21 really nails it down for us easy to understand. It says, For our sake, God, he, it says, He made Him. So God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that says is it says, you know what? We, we have nothing to offer. We've already established. But what God did for us, in order to give us righteousness, in order to give us salvation, what God did for us is that he made Jesus our sin. He became our sin. It doesn't say he, he put it all in a backpack and, and he stuffed it to the brim, and man, it was a really heavy backpack with all Jonathan's sin by itself much less the sins of the world, and then he put it on his shoulders and it weighed him down. No, it said he became sin. He took on the very nature that we have earned, that we are. And he became the sin 
that, that we have wrought, the sin that we um, have, have uh, lived our whole lives, the sin that we've done, the sin of the world. And he became sin that never sinned, that knew no sin. Why? So that we might become, and that's key, we might become the righteousness of God. Because what he did, he said, all right, I'm going to take your filth, I'm going to take your sin, I'm going to take your unrighteousness, I'm going to put it on Jesus, and I'm going to swap out his righteousness, and I'm going to give it to you. It's a great exchange. Typically, if you're in business and you want to exchange resources for a service, or if you want to barter, you want equal value. Well, this is nothing like that. There's no equality in this. This is something unmeasurably good and something unfathomably evil. And they swapped. Jesus gave us his righteousness, his perfection, his obedience, and we gave him our sins. That's the great exchange, and that's the only way that we receive that. And this is so important that we get this, that we understand this, because righteousness is not something you do, it's someone you are. That's important to get. And, and if you, you have to think about it a little bit to, kept to make, make sense, because we, we, as Christians... We do this. We're like, all right, I've got to do my quiet time. I've got I to gotta go to church. I've got to pray. I've got to uh, disciple my kids. I've got to do all these things. I do those things. And when we mess up on one of those things where we sleep in and we forget to do our quiet time or we fall asleep in a chair because we do our quiet times at night. Um, she's a morning. I'm a night person. So, so that's fun. But, but whatever it is, we, we, if we miss on something, then we feel like we're so unworthy, that we're unlovable, that we can't approach God, that we can't go to God and say, hey, God... I'm sorry I messed up because that unrighteousness it leads us to shame but really it's, righteousness is not something you do or earn it's something that you are so if you are redeemed if you are saved if you have salvation you are righteous before God it's called it's justification when he says alright I look at you and I say you are saved I say you are my child and nothing can separate you from the love nothing can take away who my children are there's no one more powerful there's not a God DHS above God that says alright I'm going to take your child away no God's a good and perfect God and he is a good and perfect father and he, when we are his children no one is more powerful than him no one can take us away from him even emancipation won't work at that point we're his so righteousness is something that you are it's something that you're given it's given to us because Christ earned it and he gave it to us it's not something you do and so we see, first of all, there's a righteousness that God rejects. That's self-righteousness. We see there's a righteousness that God accepts, and that's Jesus' righteousness. Looking at time, all right. And then we'll see if I can get this quickly. Oh, man, all right. Three R's. There's three R's, reading, writing, and, and arithmetic. We all realize that only one of those is actually an R. But, but the three R's that I want to talk about today is that Jesus is, Jesus is the risen Lord, he is the redeeming Lord. I'm forgetting my notes. All right, he's the ruling Lord. I'm like, I know this. I can't even think of it. He is the risen Lord. He's the redeeming Lord. And he is the ruling Lord. So he's all three of those things. He's not just one. So first of all, real quick, Jesus is the risen Lord. The resurrection is essential for our belief in salvation. We know that in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. There's no resurrection. Christianity is useless. He, and, and this wasn't an accident because, you know, three verses later he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
It wasn't something that snuck in the Bible. It's something that he believed was so true that he had to reiterate it just three verses later. He said, you know what? If Christ has not been raised, Christianity is useless. It depends on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there's no salvation. Jesus dying for sin wasn't enough because the resurrection fulfilled the scriptures, the promises about that he would raise again, and it proved that Jesus was divine, that he was God's son. The resurrection provides our salvation. The resurrection guarantees our resurrection because if, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if there is a resurrection for the dead and Jesus rose from the dead, then we too are guaranteed our resurrection when we die. So, so the resurrection guarantees our resurrection and the resurrection defeated death. There was an enemy that Jesus had to defeat. There was an enemy that was strong. But Jesus was stronger, and he defeated death itself. So Jesus is the risen Lord, and that's important. Second, Jesus is the redeeming Lord. To redeem means to be purchased with a price. A ransom was paid, and that's what the great exchange did. It gave us Christ's righteousness in exchange for our sin, but it came at a very high cost. Because when Jesus was on the cross, the Father turned his face away. He was separated from himself. Because we know that God is both spirit, but he's also God the Father and God the Son. And he said the Father turned his face away because Jesus had become the sins of the world. So he died, but he rose again victorious. And Jesus became our sin and paid the wage, the wage of our sin, which is death. We know that and, and in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Imagine, imagine you worked for me <laughs> you don't, but imagine. Imagine you worked for, more, for me and I said I was going to pay you to, to incite you. I was going to pay you $100 an hour. Yeah, yeah. Noel's like, all right, sign me up. So, Noel, I'm going to pay you $100 an hour, and you work 10 hours for me. So do the math. What do you get? Exactly. Not about exactly right. Nailed it. Give her a round of applause. Yeah. On the spot. That's a lot of pressure. Path on the, uh, on the spot, it's pressure. All right, so so $1,000. So so if I say, all right, here's my wallet. Oh, don't have it. Pretend I did. Here's 20 bucks. You'd be upset, right? Because you'd earned $1,000, right? You'd be like, whoa, the wages was $100 an hour. Fine, take out Uncle Sam. Here's $200. But um, <laughs> that's what it feels like, I know. But but here's here's the taxes out. But here's, here's your wage. This is what you've earned. Here's 20 bucks. You would be pretty upset with me. You'd be like, my vote's no. I'm voting. It's no. Just want to let everybody know he's a liar. So, so you'd want that thousand dollars. Well, the same way our wages for our sin is death. What we earn. It's not something that God says. I can't wait for you to go to hell. I, I can't stand you. Go to hell. That's not what God's saying. God doesn't say that. That's what I'm saying. She's paying attention. I like it, Noel. Yeah. She's she's like what? Exactly right. God's not like that. God said, I love you so much that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send someone to die for you, that I'm going to pay the debt you owe. Because Jonathan owes her $1,000. If, if, if John came by and he said, all right, here's 1000 bucks, I covered, I wouldn't owe you anything anymore because I would owe him <laughs> with interest. That's how that works. And so, so he paid the debt because we owe, we deserve death. And that's not just a physical death. That's eternal separation from God and every good and perfect thing that comes from God. That's eternal separation. And we deserve that. But God said, you know what? I'm going to pay that wage and I'm going to die on the cross. And not only that, but he rose again afterwards. So therefore, we see that Jesus is the, the, the risen Lord, that he is the redeeming Lord because he paid for our sin with a price, his own life. And lastly, we see that Jesus is the ruling Lord. 
This is the hardest one for people to buy into because we're all on board for the, whew, he paid my sin, I'll take that, yes. We, we like the fact that we can go to heaven. Any, anybody here excited that we go to heaven one day? There you go, yeah, excited. Yeah, Noel's like, yes, I'm paying attention still. I love it. And so, so um, I don't know Noel, I just met her today, she's great. So she's tolerated my Noel, Noel, Noel jokes. So she's got high high points for me today, but, but the hardest one for people to buy into is that Jesus is the ruling Lord because we like that he's the risen Lord. We like that he rose from the dead. That's a really cool story, and we believe it, and, and we, we like that, that he's the redeeming Lord because he paid for our sin with a price. We like that because it means we have eternity with heaven if we trust in that. But Sometimes we don't like that he's the ruling Lord because what that means is that he's ruling over us. There's, a, there's an illustration I'd like to share, and this kind of paints the idea for us. Uh-oh. She's paying attention again. Golly. Sharp as a tack. All right, so the wedding illustration. So, so imagine there was a young groom, a young groom, and on his wedding day, he's just beaming. He's just beaming. He's so excited as, as the doors open up and his bride comes in, almost as big as I was beaming when Amy came in, but, but not quite. But he's really beaming. He's really excited. He was so in love with his bride, and he'd do anything for her. And he's just ecstatic. He's elated. He went all out. He drained his savings. He, drained, he worked extra. He worked overtime to make sure everything was perfect for his wife. He slaved away because they bought a new house and they were going to move in together, and so he was doing all the remodeling and the finishing, and he made it perfect for her. He, he was getting color swatches and learning colors like fuchsia and what those meant, and he did everything for her. And he, and he went all out, and he slaved away, and he, he spent countless days and long nights getting the home ready and working and paying for all this stuff. And so after everyone celebrated, and they, and they get in the car with the, the cans and the just married painted on the back, the bride and the groom got in the car, and he just sighed. You're my wife. He's excited. He's grinning in your ear, and he said, I love you. And he meant it, and she knew he meant it, and she smiled and told him, I love you. Good story, right? Well, then she says, take me home. And, and he's like, uh, yeah, I'll take you home. It's finished. You're going to love it. It's going to be after the honeymoon. We're about to go on the honeymoon. Uh, the plane leaves in a little bit, so I can't run you by the home first. And she's like, no, I'm glad you're my husband. I'm glad you're my husband. But, but take me to my home. He's, he's confused. He's a little speechless. He's not really sure what she means. He's like, what? He's confused. And she says, I- I'm glad you love me, and I'm glad I'm your wife. I'm so thankful to be your wife. I'm glad. If I'm sick or if I need something, I'll be sure to call you. I'll visit on the weekends. I'll visit on the weekends. I'll, I'll come by. I'll be sure to visit you then. You're my husband, but take your hands off my life. That to us is so foreign. That, that, that just boggles the mind that someone could possibly do that. It doesn't make any sense. No, they, they live together. They're husband and wife. They leave and cleave. We get this. And that just, like, why would you marry a woman like that? I ask that when I think of my relationship with God because why would God want some of the church's mentality? Why would he want a church like us, a bride like us sometimes? Because you know what? We tell God the same things. If I'm sick or if I need something, I'll be sure to call you. I'll visit you on the weekends. I understand, but, but I don't want to live with you every day. 
I don't want to do life with you. I just want to see you when I need something or on the weekends. And we say that to God. We say, God, I love you. I'm glad you're my Savior. I'm glad you're Jesus. I'm glad you're my Lord. But take your hands off my life. I want to make my decisions. I want to do what I want to do. And I struggle with this too. John may not, but I definitely do struggle with this because I, because I, I he really does. But, but, but I struggle with this because I'm like, no, I, I want to do things my way. I'm a man, right? That's what we do. We want to do things our way. Amy's like, yes. Yes, my Amy. So. And she's like, we want to do things our way. And that's how we treat God sometimes. Like, yeah, we know you're the risen Lord. We know you're the redeeming Lord. But are you really the ruling Lord? I don't want you to rule over my life. And that's difficult for us to, to really buy into. It's difficult. And it's not easy. It's not easy to change your lifestyle. It's not easy when you get married to learn, oh, they fold their socks that way. It's not easy to learn how to live together like, oh, well, he's really messy. I don't know who would say that. Not my wife, but somebody would say that. And so it's really hard to learn things and how to work together, especially when it's just submission. Because what Jesus as Lord means, and we believe and confess that, as Romans 10, 9 says, when we believe and confess that unto salvation, that means we agree with God. That's what confession means, that we agree with God about everything he says about his son, and that we say, if he's Lord, I'm going to submit. Because when a king says something, you do it. When a king walks by and he sees the peasants and, he, and, and they don't bow, they could be executed. Because the king is in charge and he is the Lord of all lords. He's the king of all kings. And he's our savior. And he's not just this dictator that rules over us with an iron fist and, and demands us to, I squeaked a little bit there, but demands us to just, just follow him with, 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 with bad motives and plan. But no, he's a good and loving Lord. He's the one that has our best interest. And so that's what it means to realize that Jesus is both the risen, the redeeming, and finally the ruling Lord. And if you don't have Jesus as the ruling Lord, I don't think you have salvation. Because salvation says you have to confess, you have to believe, and your life is going to be different. So, So I'm assuming, I've never been here before, I'm not picking on anybody because I don't know anybody here. I'm not stepping on anybody's toes, but the truth of the Scripture is that if you're saved, if you're a Christian, you're going to trust in God and you're going to follow God. And you're going to let Him be the Lord. Sometimes it means that we're going to have to get back up there and, and look at our mind and say, all right, have I really, am I on the throne or is Jesus on the throne? And we might try to oust God later in life and realize that, oh no, I'm trying to sit on the throne. It's, it's His job, not mine. We might have to struggle with that. But he'll, he'll correct you. He'll get you back on track. He'll, he'll work that out. He'll complete the work that he started in us. But if you're saved, he has to be in charge of everything. So as I finish up, I just, I just want to ask you guys a couple of questions. If, you, if you've ever really done that, and if you haven't done that, you'll have an opportunity in just a second. And there's the invitation. Brother John will be up here. And if you realize that I've never, I believe in the resurrection, I believe in Jesus, but I've never submitted to his lordship, to his kingship, I've never done that, then, then you can come up and talk to Pastor John. He'll be up here. But maybe you have. But maybe you're like me and you struggle with letting him rule over everything. So this time of invitation, would you just pray? Would you just say, God, I understand that I'm giving you this time. I understand that I'm giving you this parts of my life. I understand I'm giving this, but over here I'm holding on to it. And I don't want you to have in charge because if you're in charge, you're going to do something that I don't want you to do. So I want, I want to rule over here, but I need you to take the reins. I need to give those to you. So what areas of your life do you need to say, God, you're in charge, not me? 
want to pray. And they're going to come up and, and finish. If you will pray with me. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of Scripture. I thank you that there is a righteousness that we can obtain. There is a righteousness that we can have. And God, I thank you that your son paid the price so that we could have that very salvation. God, please convict us, correct us, reprove us, and guide us in the path of righteousness. Where we've put up areas of our life where we say, God, I don't want to submit to your lordship or I don't want to submit to you. Tear that down. That we all struggle. None of them here are perfect. But God, my prayer and my heart and hope for these people in this room and myself is that we would say, God, you're Lord of everything. Come be the Lord of everything. I pray that you give this church wisdom, that you give Amy and I wisdom in the time to come. Uh, And let's have a good time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for your son. We ask this in your name. Amen.